Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We have three major policy decisions on tap, including from the Fed. We get a preview now from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. The Fed has signaled it has at least one more quarter point rate increase to go, and a still tight labor market is expected to lead them to go ahead on Wednesday. Futures are pricing in a 96% chance of a move. For investors, the real question is, what next? Fed officials said in June they anticipated two more rate moves. What did they signal after their meeting? Analysts also think the ECB is close to ending its tightening cycle. One more move and then on hold. European markets are still pricing in cuts, and President Christine Lagarde will try to wave those off. In Japan, still a long way to get to where they want to be. Inflation is up, but projected to fall. So investors see less than a 10% chance of a rate move. They may talk about ending yield curve control, but have no plans to do it yet. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Mike, thanks. Well, expect moves from all three central banks. That's the call from Mohamed El Arian, chief economic advisor for Allianz and a Bloomberg opinion columnist. All three are going to hike by 25 basis points, but that's where the commonality will end. I think the Fed will come across as dovish. The Bank of England will still be quite hawkish, and the ECB will be in the middle in terms of the forward policy guidance. And when it comes to inflation, Bloomberg opinion columnist Mohamed Alarian says the Fed will ultimately have to settle on a new target rate, around 3 percent, and that's compared to the current 2 percent inflation target. It's also a busy week for earnings, Karen. About a third of the companies in the S&P 500 will report this week, and we've already heard from oil giant Chevron. Bloomberg's Doug Krisner has the details. The results reflect record shale oil output in the Permian Basin. Adjusted EPS were $3.08, higher than the Bloomberg consensus. However, net income fell to $6 billion. It's the fourth straight quarter of lower results for Chevron. Net income has fallen to nearly half the level of last year when oil prices surged after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now Chevron is on a quest for record shareholder returns, and the company is waiving the mandatory retirement age for chairman and CEO Mike Earth. In New York, I'm Doug Krisner, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Doug, thanks. Well, another corporate news, Elon Musk is making another change at Twitter. He's hoping X marks the spot to profitability for the social media company. And we get the details from Bloomberg's John Tucker. Say goodbye to Twitter's Bluebird logo. It's being replaced with a stylized X. X.com now redirects to Twitter.com. Elon Musk has an affinity for X. X.com was the original name for PayPal. It's in the SpaceX company name. It's in the name for Tesla's SUV. The abrupt change comes as Twitter faces a steep decline in ad dollars and a new rival in Meta Platform's threads. X is envisioned as an AI-powered global marketplace, including payments and banking, alongside audio, video, and messaging. In New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you, John. Well, it's been a tough summer for Hollywood between the labor strikes and disappointing blockbusters, but an unlikely double feature this past weekend is giving cinemas something to smile about. 
Barbie earned $155 million in its box office debut, and it came out the same weekend as Oppenheimer, which brought in $80.5 million. About 200,000 movie fans bought tickets to both films on the same day. That Barbenheimer phenomenon helped theaters turn in their best weekend since Marvel's Avengers Endgame in 2019. Well, on a more serious note here, Nathan, let's turn to politics now, where U.S.-China relations remain largely in focus. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the rest of the world is eager to see ties improve between Washington and Beijing. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has that story. Blinken says he's hearing from all over the globe concern about how it will be managed. To make sure that we sustain these uh, lines of communication, that we continue to, to talk, and uh, that we uh, work on, as I said, both dealing with the differences and seeing if we can cooperate. That's the way we're approaching it. I think it's the responsible thing to do. Blinken on CNN says both will continue to say things the other does not like, but the relationship will be based on how it is managed going forward. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, and We've had a significant and confusing election result in Spain. Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has denied his political rivals a majority in parliament after his Socialist Party performed better than expected in yesterday's election. The Conservative People's Party won the most seats in Spain's parliament, but the Socialists also saw gains. We get more from Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo in Madrid. If you focus on the winner, and as I say, that is the Conservative Party. They won the most votes, but also the most seats. The problem that they have is that that is not enough in Spanish politics. Being the winner will not get you into government if you don't have a majority. But what we saw last night is that there are huge pockets of Spanish voters that will go out and vote to prevent what they perceive as the far right entering a government. Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo says Pedro Sanchez will remain prime minister for the time being, but he may have to call another election later this year. This is Bloomberg. And it's time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. It's not just New Jersey filing a lawsuit against New York City's congestion pricing plan. Staten Island plans to file a lawsuit as well. Borough President Vito Fasella, like officials at the Garden State, are pointing to the environmental studies, saying it will cost more for people in Staten Island and hurt the borough's environment. To sit here and then say to the people of Staten Island that you're going to pay more and your air quality is going to be worse doesn't make any sense. Audio courtesy of ABC7, many Staten Islanders can't take the ferry and could end up paying even more to get into Manhattan below 60th Street when the congestion pricing plan kicks in. In a statement from the MTA, contrary to any claim that there was insufficient study, the environmental assessment actually covered every conceivable potential traffic, air quality, and social economic effect. An unsettling discovery reported at the house of the accused Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Hewerman on Long Island. According to the New York Post, police told a neighbor that investigators found a soundproof room in the basement of the home and believe at least one victim was killed there. Officials have been searching inside the home to determine if any of the victims were ever inside. Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison says Hewerman's appearance of normality was a cover that hid his true nature. He lived a double life. You know, he had a family, he had a wife, he had two kids. Uh, he had a good job in being an architect. Uh, but what he did at night, he was a different human being and uh, a dangerous individual. 
Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison says that they've been using cadaver dogs, ground-penetrating sonar, and an excavator to scour Hurman's backyard. The current heat wave has been setting records across the country. Tens of millions of Americans from California to Florida are struggling to cope with scorching heat, like this man visiting Palm Springs. It was 120? Yeah. And it, it felt like somebody just lit a match in the front of us. Now the heat wave is forecast to expand into the Midwest and Northern Plains. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was released from the hospital today after an emergency heart procedure. It comes ahead of a key vote in the government's judicial overhaul plan that has divided the country. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts over 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg Nathan. Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stashow. Good morning, Nathan. Two-game Subway Series starting tomorrow in the Bronx. The Yankees come off a sweep of the Royals. The Mets off a loss. Last night in Boston, Carlos Carrasco started, got only seven outs, and he was gone, having given up five runs, ten hits. His ERA is near six. The Red Sox went on to win six to one as the Mets got only six hits, all singles at the stadium, something that had not occurred in a very long time. Well, once again, it'll be a 3-2. From Lyles to Rizzo. Swung on, hit high in the air to right. right. Back to the wall, and it's gone! (laughs) Waters went back as far as he could go. Anthony Rizzo has not homered since May 20th. WFAN, 45 games without a homer, so sure enough, Rizzo's teammates gave him the silent treatment when he got to the dugout. The homer part of a four-for-four day for Rizzo. Yanks beat the Royals, who are 45 games under 500. Eight to five, Luis Severino got just his second win, perhaps more significant than the victory before the game. Aaron Judge facing live pitching for the first time since the toe injury in early June. In Cooperstown, induction day, and into the Baseball Hall of Fame goes Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff. Rowland made it despite getting only 10% of the vote the first time he was on the ballot. McGriff never voted in by the writers but earned entry through the Veterans Committee. Brian Harmon, not exactly a golf Hall of Famer. He had only won two tournaments, none since 2017. The odds on him winning the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool were 125-1, to 1, but... A near wire-to-wire victory. Harmon ended up winning by six shots, finished 13 under par, four straight under par rounds. Four-way tie for second, Rory McIlroy tied for sixth. John Stashower, Bloomberg Sports. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. It is the start of a very busy week for markets. We have a Federal Reserve decision coming in two days, ECB and Bank of Japan policy decisions as well, and a big batch of earnings on the way, including some of the mega-cap tech names that have driven this year's rally in stocks. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina for a look at this market at the start of this week. Lori is head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Good morning, Lori. Good to have you on with us as always. What do you think is going to be the bigger driver for 
this market this week, the central banks or the earnings? Uh, well, thanks for having me, as always, Nathan. And I think that's actually a fabulous question to start the week off with, because I think it's going to be all about earnings. Um, you know, one of the things our rate strategy team has talked about on the Fed is they think the Fed narrative is likely to stay kind of boring for a while. Um, and I think equity investors have already come to that conclusion that we're probably going to get one more hike. That's probably the end of it. Um, we'll have to wait and see, of course, but they do want the fight on inflation one. So I think that's, you know, sort of settled in a lot of equity investors' minds. But I think there's a real questions on this earnings season, whether or not these big cap tech companies are going to continue to dominate sort of the excitement and enthusiasm around earnings, or if it's time for this market to broaden out and see some of the other sectors generate some incremental excitement, which I think if it happens could really spark a shift in leadership that a lot of people have been hoping and looking for. Raises a couple of questions. I'll start with the first one, whether the excitement we've seen around the artificial intelligence craze. I mean, any time a company mentions AI, it seems like they get a little bit of a spike in their stock number. Is this the earnings season where these companies are going to have to put some meat behind some of that frenzy? Well, I think that frenzy, I think even a lot of companies who are talking about it, it's something that's talked about as, you know, sort of a longer term kind of driver, at least some of the more legitimate conversations. Um, I think that companies do have to be careful there, though, because one of the things I've heard over the last couple of months, and we really did see that AI conversation spark in our spike in really May and June. That's when it really came on the scene. There's a lot of pushback from investors, you know, at least the ones I talked to were companies who aren't really that involved. We're trying to make a bigger deal of it than it really is. Um, so I think companies want to be really, really careful not to overhype it because, to be honest, I think it just irritated a lot of portfolio managers. Okay. Uh, and in terms of the breadth question, are you starting to see more breadth get into this market? Do you think that can last? You know, it's, it's funny. We have a bunch of trades that we monitor in our weekly, which comes out on Mondays. And we look at things like banks versus NASDAQ 100, regional banks versus NASDAQ 100, small versus large, all the sector trades. And you're starting to see a lot of stuff shift. Now, the, the, the attempts by the banks and the small caps to really kind of fight back and show some leadership, it's been kind of uh, simmering under the surface for a while. A lot of these trades have stalled at kind of 2020 extreme. So they've kind of gotten beaten down as much as they tended to back then relative to some of these other baskets. So I think these are, you know, sort of lions that are waiting in the brush to pounce. Um, but so far, you know, we are starting to see, in July at least, we are starting to see some of that rotation happen. So we'll see if earnings gives it an excuse to keep going. That's the big question for me these next few weeks. How do you think earnings will potentially justify some of the valuations that we're seeing in some of these stocks, particularly the mega caps? So I think that valuations, it's a tough moment in time to discuss valuations. Certainly the growth part of the market looks overextended at this point in time. And I think that is one of the things that could give give room for this leadership rotation to happen. You know, I don't think there's a lot of the a lot of parts of the market that look too cheap, at least on an absolute multiple. But if you look at things like growth versus value, you're back to past peak. So I think one of the things we tend to see in these big recovery trades, and I do think this feels like a recession recovery trade, even though we didn't have a recession last year, I think one got priced in. Um, but at any rate, we tend to see, you know, kind of one part of the market dominate, and then the second half of the rally will be fueled by kind of a catch-up trade. I've been really intrigued by what's going on in healthcare because I think you're starting to see some signs of a catch-up trade there. I think financials had really been held back, not just by the banking crisis, but near-term recession fears, and we're seeing those really ease up. So I think that gives us some room for some of that catch-up, which basically will allow certain multiples uh, to re-rate a bit. 
Got about 30 seconds left here, Lori. We are seeing the S&P 500 just about 260 points away from breaking out of the uh, bear market low from last October. Is this a new bull market or are you looking for more choppiness ahead? So I don't like those terms, bull market, bear market rally. I know that sounds strange coming from a strategist, but, you know, I think people got stuck in this bear market rally. Oh, it's not real kind of mentality. We were never thinking that way. We've always thought this was a messy post-crisis normalization period, similar to 0203 and 2010-2011 coming out of the GFC and the tech bubble. If that analogy holds, this is about the moment in time when you should come out of the rut. Basically, those messy normalization periods last about a year and a half, and that's where we are at this point in the timeline for the, for the, for the pandemic. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast-to-coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.